Hello everyone, I'm Alicia and this is Murd Nerds. I just want to tell everyone that if it seems like I'm having some difficulty talking, um, it's because I currently have uh, costochondritis, so I'm having a hard time taking breaths in. But um, I hope everyone's enjoying their weekend and getting prepared for the holidays to come. Unfortunately, Ashley isn't here with us tonight. We're definitely going to miss her, and the show won't be the same without her. And she totally didn't tell me to say all of that. <laughs> but for this episode, I've recruited some of our incredible friends to share and discuss this story with. I'd like to introduce you to, drum roll please, Jenna and Amanda. Woo! Howdy. Jenna, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, well, obviously I'm Jenna. I'm a therapist and a friend of Alicia since uh, we were Forever, 16. really? Yeah, yeah. Sea <laughs> Queen days. Oh, the embarrassment. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm an awkward person anyways. This is... I feel like I'm funnier when I get going and that's it. You'll get comfortable. It's fine. And this is Amanda. Amanda, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Amanda. Um, I'm a newer friend. I've only been around for four years now-ish, something like that. So we all met through my fiance, since you guys have known him forever. Yeah, for a really long time. Yeah, so I just kind of came in. Third grade? Yeah, when was that? It was the, it was the fifth grade. It, it, okay. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. It just, yeah. <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> another another podcast for another day. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so they kind of all took me in and I just kind of stayed around. And so. you fit in so perfectly. I know. Lucky you guys, right? <laughs> You're the best. Such that. All right. Um, so let's just jump right into this case. Um, this week's case is one I've only known about for a few years. Um, I first heard about it while listening to a podcast called Cold Case Chronicles, which, shout out to them, I miss listening to their content so, so much. Um, It was one of the first cases they covered, and it really stuck out to me for a couple reasons. Um, This isn't too far from where we live. It's unsolved and continues to go cold. It's about a stay-at-home mom with three daughters, which I'm also a stay-at-home mom with three daughters and a son. But um, once again, this is one of those cases that I feel doesn't get talked about a whole lot. There's a couple news articles, some recent interviews with her daughters, and a Reddit entry. But unless you're actively looking for it, you're not going to hear about it. The more episodes we release, the more you'll start to see. More times than not, cases within Indiana communities fizzle out and get forgotten about within a short amount of time. This is the case of Darlene Hulse. My sources are an article of Michiana Unsolved by News Center WNDU. The South Bend Tribune, Season 3, Episodes 1, 2, 3 of Cold Case Chronicles, The Plymouth Tribune, The Rochester Sentinel, The Lafayette Journal and Courier, and a Medium.com article by Cat Lee. Darlene was born October 15, 1955 in Gary, Indiana, to Oscar and Joyce Jolly. She grew up with two sisters and one brother. At 19 in 1974, Darlene married Ron Hulse in Portage, Indiana. Two years later, They welcomed their first daughter, Marie. Then two years later, they had Melissa. And then five years after that, they had their last child, Kristen. Darlene was a very beautiful, loving person and mother. She was very religious and involved in her church community. 
She also went to medical school and had a degree, but instead chose to stay at home with her daughters while Ron was the breadwinner. Oh. I'm not sure when exactly Darlene and Ron moved to Argus, Indiana, but they moved into a home within a short walking distance from Ron's parents' home. In 1980, the population of Argus was a little over 1,500, which to me seems a lot because Argus is just so tiny. Just driving through, it also, there's not much to do. I'm assuming there's a lot of country homes because the town itself is just so small. Jenna and I were talking the other day. Yeah, Argus is, it just, it's so creepy. It just gets off this, like, I don't know. Like, Silent Hill, Eerie. I'm dead going through this town drive feeling. Okay, it's it's, it's bizarre to me that this case, like, they're from Argus, because I, when I was in high school, dated a boy who lived in Argus. So Argus, like, became second home to me yeah. for over a year, and I played a lot of club soccer during off-season, and my club team was out of Argus. Really? So I was there almost every day of the week for a solid two years. And you never heard anything about this, No, for sure. No, no, no one, one ever. No one talks about it. Yeah, so you said Argus, I'm like, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. No idea. Oh, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. Oh, man. And, like, I used to hang out in Argus a lot, which, shout out to all my Argus friends. They're awesome people. It's nothing personal. But it, the town, it's it's not the people. It's the town itself that is just so eerie. It's... It's just like one of those drive-through towns. That's why I was shocked that the population was 1,500, because it doesn't feel like a town that has 1,500 people. Not even close. It feels like a ghost town. It's just not pleasant. (laughs) Yeah. So during the morning of August 17th, 1984, school hadn't quite started for the Hulse's older daughters, but I could only assume they were enjoying their last couple days of summer break. As usual, Ron woke up at 5 to drive to Plymouth, which is only about 10, 15 minute drive, to work. Ron worked for a young door, which ironically, my grandparents, my uncle, and my mom all worked there too around the same time that this happened, and Ron was there. I chatted with them a little about it, and they don't really remember much because it was so long ago. They just remember that it did happen. Anyway, Ron took off to work, and remember, at this point in the season, the sun was still rising pretty early. I looked it up, and the sunrise on that day in Argus was at 5.57 a.m. By 7 a.m., Darlene got the girls up for breakfast to get ready for the day, and around 9 a.m., Darlene's father-in-law took his bike to their house to say good morning to his daughter-in-law and his granddaughters. He dropped off some snacks, which were bananas, and chatted with them for a little bit, but didn't stay too long. After their visit with their grandfather, Darlene asked Marie and Melissa to go ahead and get into the bathtub while she fed their baby sister, Kristen, before they had to leave for a doctor appointment. It was two days before Kristen's first birthday, and she had her one-year-old checkup. So the day before, Rod had taken their dog to the vet and it had stayed there overnight while the girls were in the bath they heard what they thought was a dog they got super excited because they thought either their dad brought their brought their dog back home or got them a new puppy marie got out of the tub told melissa to stay and she was going to go see what was going on as she ran down the hall full of excitement she didn't find a puppy or her beloved dog she saw a man that she didn't know struggling with her mom and her baby sister on the floor Darlene screamed for Marie to run. Maria, Marie thought quickly to call someone and ran back to the hall, to the kitchen, to their wall-mounted phone. She dialed the only numbers that she knew by heart, her aunts. While she was dialing, the man grabbed Darlene by her hair and started dragging her down the hall to stop Marie. Oh my gosh. Of course, her aunt didn't answer, and all Marie got was a busy tone. Before she could dial again, the man ripped the phone from the wall. At this point, 
Melissa had heard the commotion and gotten out of the bathtub. She stood in the doorway, awestruck at what she was at what was going on. Marie again thought quickly, ran out of the kitchen, grabbing Melissa's hand. They were able to escape the intruder out the back door and ran towards their grandparents' house, leaving their mother and Kristen with the assailant. Within 15 minutes, the police had arrived at the home of Darlene, Ron, and their children. The scene they walked upon was horrifying. There was a trail of blood leading from the front door down to the roadside, where the detectives assumed a car was parked and Darlene was put into. As they investigated the inside of the home, they found signs of a struggle. There was blood absolutely everywhere. The floors, the walls, the carpet. On the floor lay a broken fire poker from the fireplace, the chosen weapon. In the middle of it all was baby Kristen, covered in her mother's blood. Thankfully, she wasn't harmed or injured. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How awful. Oh How awful. God. This happened in Argus, Indiana. In like, Argus, Indiana. to blow my mind. Yep. That night, a sketch of the man was created from what Marie and Melissa could recall, and they were also able to give a description of the car. The man they saw was between the ages of 20 and 30, had shaggy blonde hair that they believed had black streaks in it. He was around 6 foot to 6'2 and around 150 pounds. He was wearing a tan striped shirt, brown gray corduroy pants, and tan leather work boots. And I gotta say, um, these girls were 6 and 8 years old. And obviously this is a very traumatic thing. It's, I, I don't want to say six and eight-year-olds are unreliable, but can you imagine being six or eight and having to give a description of somebody that attacked your mom and kidnapped her? I, yeah, no, absolutely not. It's, I mean, it's hard to just get kids to really remember, like, important, important details from their everyday lives that, to ask them to, you know, remember every detail pretty much during this event like that's yeah that's really hard yeah and traumatic and and i i don't want to say it's unreliable but it's unreliable considering how do you remember small details like that and you're being asked like i can't even look at somebody and be like oh yeah they're like 130 pounds (laughs) like i don't know what that looks like on people if that makes any sense yeah i can't imagine being the detective that has to go to the kids and be like so I know what just happened was traumatic, but these are things that are, <laughs> you know, necessary to, you know, part of this process. I can't imagine being put in that position mm-hmm. to where you're asked to do that to a child. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just think of, like, the sketches, the police sketches that people do, and every time I see a really good one, I just think, who remembers all of those details because I would never be able to give a realistic sketch. Never. Mm -hmm. It would look like a doodle. Well, and just seeing somebody in such a hot situation for a a couple minutes, I don't think I could describe a face of my husband to somebody and it looked like my husband. Right. Yeah. And I've seen his face for every day for the past (laughs) nine years. Can you imagine trying to do that? Mm. This is my husband. I don't know what he looks like. He's good looking. Uh, <laughs> beard. He's got. Yeah. He wears glasses. Like the. Uh, no, his, his jawline's not like that. Yeah, it's not that. There's such little details that just a normal person would struggle. Let alone a six and eight year old. It just it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It really blows my mind. Um, the car was a 1970 to 1974 blue-green sedan that was in very poor condition, including rust on the sides. 
This description was also given by a neighbor who drove past earlier that morning who added the car looked almost like it was self-painted, specifically the hood. So Mm. the girls told them about this car and thankfully somebody had drove past so they could also confirm that yes. Right. Um, Which I'm curious how they saw the car considering they went out the back door. Uh, Oh, that's true. I... Yeah, I, I didn't even like make that connection in my head until you pointed it yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess depending uh, on which direction they could have seen, like at the front of the house. Yeah, maybe. Oh, that's true. But again, that's asking young children to were you fully aware of your surroundings exactly. when you ran out the door? Yeah. You know, so which is a good thing if you have kids. Maybe if you you start talking to them about if they're in a situation like this, remember details, remember the car. Remember what this person looked like. Did they have tattoos, scars, anything like that Mm -hmm. to prepare them? Because I feel like there's a lot of kids that just aren't prepared to remember that stuff. And adults. I was going to say, even as an adult, like I can, you know, we're Your brain's not thinking about that. Right. We're told to do these things and this is what you should be looking at and how you should react. But when it comes down to it, are you actually going to be able to do that? Yeah. We don't know what that's like when we're not in the Especially when your mind's going into shock of what. Just trying to process what happened. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Um, immediately, the police concluded that they didn't believe this was a robbery. Nothing within the house was taken, and usually a suspect who intends to rob a home brings their own weapon to prepare to fight someone off. Until they found the kidnapped Darlene, they were stumped on the motive. The next morning, a temporary marker was marking trees that needed to be cut down. This was only about six miles from the Hulse home and was in a very rural, secluded area of Argus with a dirt road that ran along a side it. Around the wooded area and dirt road was an old fence that would be really difficult to get over, but there was a gate that had been previously broken down by hunters, people going fishing, or by mushroom hunters. Right past the... Why are you laughing? Because it's it's just such an Indiana thing. So Indiana. Oh, yeah. Hunters, you know, just like hikers. Oh, and mushroom gatherers. Yeah. (laughs) For real, that's true. That's just an Indiana thing. It's so funny. Well, and especially in Argus, it's like a... It's like a hopping thing, you know? To like, go mushroom hunting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I've done it on countless occasions. All the four seasons of Indiana. We got spring, we got summer, we got mushroom hunting, and then we have Christmas time. That's, right. That's Pretty it. much it. Um, so, yes, they found this broken gate that people had been going through, and right past the gate, the timber marker found the fully clothed body of Darlene Hulse. After an autopsy was done, the pathologist said Darlene died from blunt force trauma. She was struck in the head seven times, concluding that the weapon was the broken fire poker found within the Hulse home. She was not sexually assaulted, and they didn't believe there was an attempt considering she was fully clothed. More times than not, the husband is immediately looked at. Right. But Ron was cleared. He had a Loctite alibi because he was at work 15 minutes away. They determined by the autopsy that Darlene had been murdered between 9 a.m. to noon, so Ron had already been at work for several hours. Not to mention the suspect didn't resemble Ron, and his daughter stated that they didn't recognize the man that was attacking their mother. I mean, can you ever really say that air that an airtight alibi includes work? I mean, I've worked with He some... was at, like a foreman there. Okay. okay. So he <laughs> was pretty involved with the whole factory. Because I was like, I've known plenty of people on past jobs that would, like, punch the clock and then just take off and then come back and just yeah. say they were there the whole time. Yeah. So like, I mean it would show I don't it think was. with him because he was so high up in the company that it would have been really obvious that he was gone. 
It's a factory. (laughs) They made doors. Um, My mom worked there for so long. It's so weird because my grandpa worked there when this happened, but he's having memory issues, so he couldn't really remember. Yeah, I know. (laughs) He couldn't really remember this going on. He just remembered that it did happen. I talked to my Nina about it, um, and she was like, yeah, the name sounds familiar. Then I started telling her the case, and she's like, oh, it was his wife? (laughs) Yeah, it was his wife. So I don't – yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think he would have, it would have obvious, been obvious that he was missing. Oh. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead of you because I know that you're going to get to all these, yes. all the answers to my questions. <laughs> I'll tell you. But it seems so personal as of right now. I mean, it's a weapon of opportunity. He didn't go in with anything. Hitting someone seven times. In front and, of their children. I was going to say, okay, with a baby they, right I was there. Say, didn't they also say the baby was like. With her, on the floor, so, on the floor. Oh my gosh. So it seemed, which honestly doesn't help in a town of Argus where you know everyone. everyone. So everyone comes into play at that point. Mm-hmm. But the violence is so unnecessary mm-hmm. at that point that it's a completely personal thing. I think so too. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, so the detectives just started assuming um, that it was a local man considering the location Darlene was found. It was a very hidden, not well-known or well-traveled area. Not to mention the gate. would have It would have been impossible to get a body over, so they had to have known about that broken gate. Mm-hmm. The detectives also made an assumption that the man tried to tell Darlene he was a delivery driver, and that's how he tried to get her to open the door and gain access. But they don't have anything to base this off of, other than Darlene wouldn't open the door for a stranger. Being a small, friendly town... I would assume the door was unlocked already. Yeah. Especially in the 80s. That did happen a lot, yeah. Yes. Um, If she did open the door herself, she was probably just asking who it was, how she could help him, considering Darlene was really well known for being a kind, considerate person. Mm. I I hate so much that being a kind, considerate person gets you murdered yeah how a lot yeah it almost becomes a flaw at at one at some point because like oh you open the door well shame on you for doing that you know like the strangers that whole movie they were like just because you were home right yeah Yeah. yes what the only dna at the crime scene was a very small amount of blood that was believed to be the suspects law enforcement slowly narrowed down to three main persons of interest The first one was a 22-year-old Daniel Bender. He was labeled a person of interest shortly after Darlene's murder. Police ended up stating they didn't believe he actually murdered Darlene, but they did believe he was withholding information about the crime and was charged with assisting a criminal and ended up getting arrested. Oh, in a town of 1,500? No way. They were were able to charge him for that? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, police never released why they thought he was involved, and I was unable to find what ended up becoming of the charges, like if they were dismissed or if they weren't dismissed. Hmm. I I don't know. Again, going back to that town of 1500, like someone knows something. Bremen is a little bit bigger than that. And mm-hmm. I feel like everyone knows everything. Yep. And I agree with that. But if they're not willing to, if they don't release why they charged him or why they think he was involved, I find that interesting. How did he get arrested? I, yeah, I find that interesting that one, they even looked at him as a suspect. Like, how did you pinpoint him out of mm-hmm. all people? And two, what was the basis of actually being able to arrest him for that when you don't even know who actually killed her? Yeah, exactly. That blows my mind. Yep. 
Um, I did read that they, and I, I feel like this was just rumor mill that they were basing it off of. And that's why I'll, I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> I'll tell you in a second. Um, the second person of interest was a 30 year old drifter named Robert Zabrowski. Zabrowski closely resembled the description the girls gave, and he had been living near Argus for two years in Kiwana. Shortly after the murders, he had moved to Alabama and joined a circus. So it took a while to locate him. He was arrested, but considering the lack of evidence, he was released. Interesting, right? How they arrested him for just being a person of interest. I want to go, like, since he was with the circus when he was arrested, was he in custody? (laughs) Just, the things that go through your mind, question, like what did he do to in the circus? Exactly. Um, the third person of interest is the most convincing of the three. Twenty-nine-year-old Richard W. Mock. Mock was a suspect in a slew of robberies that occurred in Illinois and Indiana, and Indiana law enforcement was already trying to contact him in regard to these burglaries when he fled the area. Mock also drove a car that was very similar to the one described. But the biggest problem with this being a connection to the case was that the car had been wrecked the previous July. So this happened in August. So the previous July, it had been wrecked and was an impound from July onward. Um, so that was during the kidnapping and the mm-hmm. murder of Darlene. Unfortunately, Mock was never questioned by law enforcement. In October of 1984, just two months after the murder, Mock robbed a convenience store, which led to a police chase. Mock decided to shoot at law enforcement, and they ended up fatally shooting him. Oh, I, I they, just, I never understand the thought process of that. That running? The, shooting at the police. Yeah, right? That's so going to get you in more trouble. So how do you think that's going to turn out for you? I yeah. imagine the devil's rejects, like, they knew they were going to die, like, this was it. That I'm like, do, I just, I don't understand the yeah. why. Yeah, mm. makes no sense. Um, they did test his DNA against the blood that was found at the crime scene. And the samples didn't match. Um, so, back to Bender, the first suspect. Right. Once again, I don't know if this was just rumor mill, because you guys both know how small Midwest towns are. Oh. Rumor mills are crazy. Um, there was talk that Bender and Mock lived in the same apartment or had dwelled the same apartment, but they had no evidence or proof. And that's why they thought maybe he had known something about what happened, what had transpired with Darlene's murder. Did they ever test the DNA that was found with Benders? I don't know. I don't, I, I couldn't oh, find Oh, because they anything. didn't release anything. I would assume that they did since they did Mock's DNA, but I don't know if there's a suspect. Okay, so especially in the 80s, I don't know. If you have a person of interest, if they have to willingly give you their DNA to test against the DNA that they have or not. Like, do Mm. you have to give consent to give, if you're a suspect? Because they don't have other evidence to prove anything against these men other than they just, they kind of looked like the description. I almost feel like they, you do have to give consent because, I mean, at that point, you still haven't been charged with anything. You still have rights. Yeah. So, so would they need a warrant against those men? I mean, fact check, friends, but I'm not sure. Yeah, right. I really don't know. I don't know. Um, so it's been 37 years, and the murder of Darlene is still unsolved. And there's nothing for detectives to go off of. This is another case of it literally could be anyone. Right. 
this is the only theory that I have. This was a random crime. Could it have been wrong place, wrong time? Considering there isn't a reason to believe this was a robbery, there was no sexual assault, could this have been a possible stranger just laying in wait for the attack? Could someone have been stalking Darlene and watching and preparing to attack her? She was a very beautiful, sweet woman. Someone could have been watching her family and their patterns, waiting to get her. Um, he knew Ron wouldn't be home. Maybe he thought the girls were already in school. And I just find it really bold of somebody to attack during the day. The literal morning time. Mm-hmm. Um, There's just like, I don't know, like a certain amount of ego to that. To think that you're just going to get away yeah. with it. That's And it works. Oh. It, it did. And it worked. It's really messed up. Well, really and messed up. Um, I was thinking, so she was really heavily involved within her church. And I know the church, most churches have a very tight community, but you also see a lot of people that are coming in, staying for a couple of weeks and then deciding not to attend church anymore. Could this have been somebody that was within the church that knew Darlene? Could it have been, like you said, a personal attack? Maybe they thought they could um, woo her or something, and she turned them down, um, and they're just pissed about it. Um, there's just, it's literally could be anything. Yeah. It literally could be anyone, anything. I'm just going to keep going back to that town of 1500. Like, I feel like someone <laughs> has to know something. Oh, 100%. 100%. percent Oh, that... That, like, small-town mindset of just, like, we don't talk about it, we just ignore it, we put it in our past, icky. Yeah. And, and we all we all have those stories. I mean, our town has those oh. stories. You know, like, something no one wants to talk about because it's gruesome. Well, it's gruesome, or it's, that's my cousin, or I went to school with that person, right. and I don't have any proof myself, but, you know, they'll continue to gossip about it. Um, it's It reminds me of... Um, native land how the judges and the prosecutors and everybody everybody knows or has a relationship with everybody else so it's nobody wants to speak up because they don't want to be the Mm -hmm. person that gets somebody arrested and sent to prison so nobody says anything or they don't want to endanger themselves or their family or whoever it is that is small town mindset Mm -hmm. so definitely there's probably somebody i mean this happened 37 years ago there's a huge chance that the person that did this is dead. There's a huge chance that anybody that knows anything is dead. But there is also a huge chance that somebody out there still knows something. Hey, it wasn't insanely 100%. long ago. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it was just the 80s. I mean, it's not it's not too long ago at all. I really want to read that autopsy report. This yeah. is just me being curious. But if there was that much of a struggle... But the only evidence her fingernails found, under her fingernails. That's exactly has to be what I'm thinking. Is like she. There's no way she did not fight like hell, especially having three kids at home with her to protect them, protect herself. Her there's baby. no way. There's her baby that's laying right next to yeah. her as this man is attacking her. There's no way that there wasn't more than just that little bit of blood. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing. Um, a lot of these small towns aren't very well staffed or educated 
on crime scene investigation, especially when this was the 80s. Exactly. It wasn't very progressed. They probably didn't even have technology to run DNA mm-hmm. for skin cells I know they at cut, that time. Yeah, and they cut the carpet out that had the blood on it, and they found blood that wasn't Darlene's, that they believe was the assailant's. But, and this is something I'm curious about. How long does that last? How how do they have a DNA sequence that they keep on record that they can base it off of? But then you have to remember too, the '80s. Like, how digitized was it? Yeah. That's do they true. even still have that? If the, if it was, or like you said, if they actually still have the sample, like that doesn't last forever. Yeah, exactly. So well, and and like Ashley and I talked about with the Larry uh, Groves case. Um, there's so many times where the evidence disappears or right. is thrown out or like accidentally or there's a fire and it, it's that happens a lot from what I hear. Time. Yes. All the time. It's so sad. It's awful. Yeah. The last, you know, couple chances for somebody to get the justice that they deserve, the family, the justice they deserve is just gone. Mm hmm. Um, And I can't imagine just how hopeless that feels. But um, although Kristen doesn't remember her mother very much because she was not even one yet, Mm -hmm. um, she stated in an interview with WNDU, I feel like I'm very lucky to be here. I feel like she did the best that she could to protect us. And that was the goal. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Oh, Oh, gosh. I know. (laughs) As of 2019, Darlene's case was reopened. And they began tracing the previous tips, tracking down leads, and re-interviewing people that they interviewed before. If anybody has any tips or information that could help in this case, investigators are asking to contact Marshall County Prosecuting Attorney Office at 574-935-8666. And also, I might, I must add, that although it's stated by law enforcement and detectives to not be linked I think it's incredibly odd that there was another murder in 1986 in Argus, just two years after Darlene's murder, that is still unsolved. What? And, yeah. In <laughs> and, Argus. In Argus, me. two years later. That's unsolved. Um, but that's a case I'll be covering in the future, so you'll just have to stay tuned and <laughs> listen to that one. Oh, I'm so mad right um, now. So, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I want to know your guys' opinions on this. Anything that I haven't covered? You know, it's just, like you said, there's, at that time, especially in a small town, there are so many things that just get missed because of training or, you know, this, that, and the other, but there's so many, I have so many questions. I want to know more about, there's got to be more DNA. Like, I'm just so stuck on that. There's got to be more DNA. I want to know why, if you have a suspect, why are you not questioning him? Like, to me, that's like... 101 first thing we do like let's bring him in let's ask some questions does he have an alibi what was he doing Which that suspects? night the the third one. Oh, he died i know but you said they never questioned him before even though they were looking at because he was missing because he fled he fled indiana and went to texas that makes sense and that's it was two months that two months later in october oh, right and he just popped up and they're just like oh yeah, yeah that's him he he um suicide by cap yep yep hmm which like i said they didn't, they tested the DNA, they it didn't, didn't suspect it was, and yeah. it didn't match. And they suspected this wasn't a robbery. And they didn't, oh, here's another thing that um, I had read. They, there were people that were suspecting that this was a sexual assault. Like, he went in there thinking 
he was going to assault her sexually. But then he realized, oh, my God, her daughters are home. And it freaked him out. Well, which pegs another point is that even if it freaked him out, he still went through with it and kidnapped her, hit her seven times in the head. Even if he didn't realize that her kids were going to be home, you still went through with it, bud. And you went yeah. through with it with a ton of violence. Yeah. That's bold. Yeah. And like you said, this seems very personal. Right. This doesn't seem like... It wasn't... It doesn't seem planned out. Like you said, he didn't bring his own weapon. There wasn't... It wasn't very strategic in making sure she was the only one home. Yeah. It just seems like he went in and... All hell broke loose. Well, but part of me does think it was planned because he knew Ron wouldn't be home. He had to have known Ron wasn't going to be home. But I think to go in with three children in the house, I think that's still pretty bold. Yeah. Well, I maybe, th- like I said earlier, maybe he didn't know that they're, the two older ones were going to be there. But I feel like if he... Because he's, it was August 17th, so that's around the time school starts. But if you're planning it that much in advance, I feel like he would make sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're continuously watching a routine if you're going to plan that well if the, you know this is what you're going to do this is how you're going to do it that you're going to make sure you know what it's just me and her yeah you know so that way nothing else gets in the way there's no surprises and this is just me from experience watching criminal minds on repeat all the time <laughs> <laughs> so i just feel like it would he would have been smarter because so you think his only goal was to go in there and murder her randomly i do yeah i do and maybe it, like I said, maybe it seems very personal considering how violent he was. So I think there's a solid chance that he knew her considering how small a town it was as well. But Yeah. Well, I I kind of want to look into other murder, serial killer murders in the, in the 80s around the Midwest now. Yeah. Because maybe that's something to look into. I think it's odd that the guy did have a very similar car to the one that was described, but considering it was in, impounded. And that's a very unique color, a blue, green, like teal colored car. That's very unique to have, especially well, so, then. Well, even then when say it, they said that it looked like the hood was hand painted. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you don't come around maybe at that time. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like that's a common thing for people to do. Yeah. To have a different, like spray obviously hand painted. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Jenna? Man, I just feel like this one is... <laughs> God, it's so hard. There's nothing to base anything off of. There's not. And, I mean, there. so, I mean, if she's volunteering at her church all the time, she probably has a lot of contact with several members of the community, because it's not just, like, gathering at church. It's, you know, like, going out, community outreach, homeless, you know, homeless shelters, going to soup kitchens type of thing, that how many other people did she meet? How many other volunteers did she meet? It, right. Yeah. Like, it's never ending. Yep. Yep, I completely agree. Yeah. I feel like the only thing that's really going to break this open is someone coming out and finally speaking up. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you don't have evidence like you want, you have no leads to go on, sometimes you just have to rely on chance. And I just think that's the responsibility of the people at that point. Yeah. Well, and lacking in motive. Right. Of understanding of, of motive. Right. There's all, it's a, just a bunch of guessing and what ifs. Mm-hmm. So... Anything else you ladies would like to add? Um, I'm dumbfounded. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'm so frustrated. Well, I mean, keep listening to murder nerds. Obviously, that's <laughs> probably like the one thing I can really say. 
Yeah. Thanks, Jenna. And thanks for having us. Yeah, this was absolutely. a first time experience for me. I've never been on a podcast before. Me neither. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have you guys on again. You guys did great. Well, thanks. Again. Thank thanks you. Thanks yeah. for radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in again. Next week, Ashley will be back. And this time she will be telling us a case. In the meantime, please don't forget to, to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on all popular social media to see information on cases, news about us and the podcast, and other fun things we like to share. Also, don't forget to like our studio's Facebook page, Golden Image Podcast, which I'll link in the show notes on social media and in the podcast description. Um, We're looking to be recording in there audio and video for YouTube at the beginning of the year. Right now, we're still doing it in our homes. So forgive me. I'm not a producer, but... We will be in a real studio soon. You're doing great, Lee. <laughs> Thanks, doing guys. Great. <laughs> All right, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.